Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello, and welcome to My Time Capsule. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens, and My Time Capsule, if you've not heard it before, is the programme where I ask my guests to tell me the five things from their life that they'd like to put into a time capsule. They choose four things that they cherish, but they also pick one thing they'd like to forget, something they want to bury in the ground and never think of again. My very special guest in this episode is the actor and improviser Jim Sweeney. Jim is one of the best improvisers this country has produced, working for many years alongside his school friend Steve Steen and as a member of the Comedy Store Players with people like Paul Merton, Josie Lawrence, Neil Malarkey, Richard Vranch, Sandy Toxvig, Jeremy Hardy and Lee Simpson and many celebrity guests such as Eddie Izzard, Caroline Quinton, Phil Jupitus, Greg Proops and Mike Myers. He's been in Blackadder, One Foot in the Grave, Kiss Me Kate, Whose Line Is It Anyway, and on radio was in Just a Minute, All the Young Dudes, and the brilliant improvised comedy The Masterson Inheritance, with Josie, Caroline, Paul, Lee, and Phelan McDermott. In 1985, Jim was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, a progressive disease which disrupts the ability of parts of the nervous system to transmit signals. Jim wrote a show about it called My MS and Me, which is still available if you'd like to listen to it. Eventually, Jim's MS led to him using a walking stick, then a wheelchair, and he is now permanently in a home, requiring 24-hour care. He is, to a large extent, unable to move, and no cure for MS has yet been found, sadly. So you'd imagine this episode might be both depressing and somewhat upsetting. In which case, I urge you to listen on to the wonderful Jim Sweeney and the five things from his life, occasionally interrupted by the normal day-to-day running of a care home, that he'd like to put in a time capsule. Barry Cryer, when I did this with him, 
Oh, you yeah. did cry out. Oh, it's enormous. It goes on forever. It must do. About four hours. <laughs> <laughs> I miss the phone call that would occasionally come. Yeah. Batters here. Straight in with a joke. In the, you know. Straight in with a joke. God. I remember a night in Bruges with us uh, all sitting in a pub in Bruges. Oh, God. You know, and that was the night we... Because um, all those poor bastards were the ones who had to... They were all managers or, or oh, yeah. directors. They ha- they were the ones who had to be in the office on um, Millennium Night. In case. In case anything. Th- they were sitting there looking at what was then, I suppose, a desktop thing. Mm-hmm. And, they, and if that went, they had to do anything. And, and they yeah. were largely indifferent because clearly their Christmas had been completely bollocksed up by this. <laughs> I mean, they sit in the office and nothing happened. <laughs> God, yeah. I remember laughing for about oh, half an hour yeah, yeah. at the Lion Tamer joke. Oh, yes. That's it. Great joke. Will there be shit there? Will there be shit there? <laughs> They're just constantly with Barry. It was, and what I loved about him is it was, everything was the joke. Yeah. The way he personalised it, make it his own. And mm. hey, hey. Well, it, but what a, what a universe. We both got to meet him. Yeah. And such a, a, a positive. Uh, astonishing, man. And also the knowledge he had, because I'd mistakenly thought I mean, him from another generation won't know anything about today's comics when I first met him. And Christ, he was up on everyone yeah, and knew everyone. what they did and also knew what other comics sort of, um, you know, comic, old school comics sort of this, what they thought of that. And, I think I first met him at, at the, the comic strip, the club. The comic ah, strip. yeah. He came there to see Rick Mail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before yeah. anybody knew who Rick Mail was. God, yeah. But no, he's one of the good ones to have met. Mm. Did you? I met. I was. Uh, Paul Merton did a series. He did. He redid Gordon and Simpson. For yeah, I did a couple of them. Mm. And uh, like the Radio Ham was the first one they did, and it was. And it, the, so I was one of the voices on the radio that he talks to. Very few lines, but bless him, Paul got it for me because he knew that rehearsing that week was rehearsing in a room with Gordon and Simpson. Yeah, and that was. The weight, as soon as you think, no way, these these are the, he, the, they, the blood donor is them. Yeah, yeah. And every single episode of Steptoe Son is there. Steptoe Son, amazing. Steptoe Son, which is which came from Comedy Playhouse, mm. which came from Hancock going, no, I don't need you anymore. Yeah. I did the, one of them, which was The Lift. Was a, oh, yes. Was a play that they'd written for Yeah, television. yeah, that was, again, that was, a, that was in the Hancock, that was in that last series, I think. Mm. And uh, the brilliant thing about it was that at some point in rehearsal, Ray said, oh, hang on a minute, because um, I think somebody was on their mobile phone and he went, actually, we really missed a trick here, haven't we? He said, like Mike's character, he's a sort of a, he's a, sort of a yuppie. Uh, he bound to have, he'd be bound to have a mobile phone. Hmm. He went, and, although, hang on a minute. And then he wrote it in as a brilliant joke uh, so that the mobile phone wasn't mentioned until the point where they almost gave up uh, and then it rang. <laughs> and I answered it and went, hello, yeah. Yeah, no, I can make that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I'd buy those. And I went straight into business. Mode. Oh, very And good. everybody just stared at me. And then when I finished, okay, right, see you then. <laughs> yeah. yeah, all right, I'll see you, see you at seven tomorrow. Oh, bye, bye. Good. Put the phone up, put it back in my pocket. Very and everybody went, yeah, yeah. You, you've yeah, got a mobile phone. phone? I went, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you could, oh, yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. And then, of course, put it out in the battery. Very good. Dead. Very good. And that was it. So wonderful. No, because again, you just think, how long on, um, that's very nearly an armful. <laughs> it's just like, no, and it, I remember Alan not talking about it, but it was important, very, was very, it was very nearly. Yeah. 
Not nearly an armful. It was not an armful. It's very nearly an armful. <laughs> it was the delight they took over things like that. Yeah. Uh, so though, that was, a, yeah, they're wonderful moments when you get to meet them. That's one of the bonuses of doing what we do as well. You mm. must have met some mm. extraordinary people as well. Yeah. Ray Gul- I had Ray Gulton, um I did the, the radio thing on the um, My MS and Me, and that went out on the radio. Right, yeah. It finished. The moment it finished, I'm ready for the, the phone rings. Literally, the phone rings. I pick up, I'm going, thinking it's my mum. I go, hello. This voice goes, well, it wasn't too shabby, was it? <laughs> it's Ray Gorton saying to me, it's not too shabby. Ah, <laughs> oh, you know, I don't care what the world says. No. He was a lovely, lovely, lovely man. Yeah. Hiya. Oh, yeah. Come in. So, so, come in. I'm just checking on you. Um, hi, do you need coffee, tea? No, no, I'm fine. Thank you very much. I'm all right, thanks. What? It, it... No, for the lunch. Um... Do you know what is for lunch? What do we do with lunch? I'm all right for lunch. I'm all right. You have you, when you have lunch, have lunch. We'll, we'll, we'll break. We'll, yeah. we'll do whatever. We, or we, we talk through it. I don't mind. Yeah. Well, yeah. I will feed we... you to your to your bedroom or to your dad. No, be in here. If we oh. do it in here, please. All right. All right. Hi, Lovely. Nice. Uh, nice to meet you. Nice. Thank you, Jim. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. What were you saying? Uh, a, a story <laughs> in the middle of an anecdote. But this is my life. Yeah. I do this. Peter Weir comes and visit me regularly. It's really lovely. And at some point, I know at some point we're going to end up talking about Frasier. Mm. At some point. Normally mm. happens with Dowie as well. At some point it'll be a, a Frasier episode. <laughs> or the, the, the wonder of the, the way they write and how do they do that. Yeah. Way. But I do. I think all my all my the stories are kind of on a like a, the, the luggage carousel. <laughs> These are the, the bags that have been left and have been there for some time. <laughs> I don't think they're ticking, so we'll just leave them there. Just go round and round and round. So how long have you been it's, doing this now? Then? Sorry. Well, I started about about two and a half years ago. It's it's going well. It's really good fun. I spent to loads of lovely people, people that I've known for a long time, yeah, people yeah. I've never met before, and I've learnt to, to shut up and listen. Shut up and listen. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, what we said. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Can you imagine? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey. Hey, I've moved into a new area. Oh, you've grown up, Fenton Stevens. Hi, you were always you. useless in business. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he'll never make nothing of himself. <laughs> oh, you and your bloody microphone. Look at you now, you big Nancy. <laughs> ah. It is that, but I it never. It's never really oh, English. My mother tongue. This is going to cut together well. Um, <laughs> so, did you think about the things you were going to? I, I, right, having thought about it, it's some it's, <laughs> stop. I'm sorry, it's me talking to my brain. I tend to, <laughs> I split my brain into two because it gets so. I describe it as a as like a dandelion brain. Now mm. things come in, and as soon as it comes in one side, everything blows out the other door. Yeah, uh, or it's as Billy Connolly said, it, the hardest thing in the world to do is put try to put uh, try to put gloves on a little kid. <laughs> And it's true. So it's like, it's, it's like, that's the way the brain is the same thing. It's like, if you leave it for a second, it'll be off and doing with something else. So when I had to think of the four, the one, the one that did was, um, and it would be in Amsterdam in 1979. Mm. And Steve and I used to, because we, we'd started working from 73, from when we left school, we started doing little impro shows and stuff. Uh, that we'd made up these shows. They weren't improvised on the spot there and then, but we'd worked them out in a room through improv. And 79 was 
big fe- a big international clown festival on this dry dock just outside um, Amsterdam. The whole place was taken over by the, the groups, people living there, blah, blah, blah. Mm. And uh, one night, as I was going back to the, the hotel ship, they had a ship in, in dock that we stayed on. They said, well, don't forget, you're running the improvisation night at 10 o'clock in the, in the, beer, in the, 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 the mirror tent, I think it was the Spiegel tent. I went, the what, when? <laughs> Improv, what's a bit, what, what do you, I had no idea, except it was Jim Sweeney, 10 o'clock in this tent. So I went to the tent, which sat probably about 150 people in it could take. And yeah, oh yeah, it's, it's full, people are coming. People are coming to what? <laughs> There's not, and I, there was a group called Footspan, Footspan Theatre. And lucky I knew a couple of them. And I said, can you just come along tonight? I really don't know what's going to happen. And that's as far as I can go with the story, because I can't remember what did happen. The show happened. Mm. I don't really remember it terribly well. I remember flashes. I remember ending and it going down well. People, you know, cheering and yeah. clapping and all that in the foot's barn. And we, we cleared up because you had to get out of the tent because there was something coming in there at 11.30. And, and then the, the crowd sort of peeled off and foot's barn went about their business. And I'm left at around midnight uh, with a bottle of beer on this empty uh, industrial estate, this dry dock at midnight. And I swear to God, I'm just looking up this, this the long, long canal where they bring the boats in. And I couldn't sleep for the whole night. And it was entirely the buzz of going, shit. <laughs> because there, there'd been no, nobody Nobody had explained that you could actually go and you didn't. You could actually improvise there and then, like mm. of the moment. Because mm. if you and Steve had been sort of working it out, and then we'll do yeah, it we, loosely. Yeah, we improvised the whole show, and basically on the first night, there'd be about at that stage, there would have been a tiny bit, ten percent, we'd pick up on the on the first night, and that would stay, and then yeah, a very small amount. Mm. But to actually go out without a clue in your head was. But it, it, it's the fact that I don't know, I can't remember what, how we organised it what, and, and what shape it took, except that it went down well. And I re, and the next day, Steve had already gone back and I phoned him as early as was sensible and uh, said, because we, we, we were going on to Denmark along with this first night and he was coming back to do the gigs in Denmark. I said, you've got to, we've got to do this. You've got to have a crack on this. I said, it's just amazing. Mm. And that was how we started the first, what was it, Omelette Broadcasting with um, Peter Weir and Justin Case, which ended up going to Edinburgh in 83, I think. And that was, But that was the first time. Mm. And we used to just go out and improvise. We didn't ask the audience to do anything except laugh. We just free wheel, completely free wheel. So you'd never seen it in, in American City all the time? Oh, there were two groups growing up. That there were One was um, Theatre Machine, was um, Keith Johnson, who, the, the founder of British Improvisation, if you like, lives mm. in Canada. Um, and he had Theatre Machine. And they, they Roddy Maud Roxby and um, Rick Morgan and Ben, 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 Ben from, um, he was in Vision On. That was the first improvisation I'd ever seen. And they do stuff and it was amazing mm. but then there was this other group called Sal's Meat Market <laughs> John Ratzenberger and Ray Hassett John Ratzenberger was in Cheers and yeah and uh, their stuff was hilarious and it was partly worked out through improvisation but they'd be free on top so it was seeing those two different disciplines or one that was disciplined and one that clearly wasn't 
I sort of triggered it off. Equally around that, there was no other... It's difficult because today there are comedy clubs and all the, there was nothing like that existed. No. How quickly did you find people like and become the comedy store players from that? They were a separate uh, stream. Um, it was Kit Hollerback and Jeremy Hardy, Neil Malarkey, mm. and Josie, Paul, and Richard that started up the the players, and they they came with the games. Whereas Steve and I were much more... We'd tell the audience to write something down on a piece of paper, you know, Midnight at the Oasis or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And we'd do a free improv of that. We, so we... Much more like the thing you did with Josie on the radio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, which is kind of not necessarily... It's not... After a while, it can it can, seem, it, it can drag. But we didn't care. Because <laughs> no. we were having so much fun. Steve Steen, 19... I can't remember what it was, at the, late at the gate... I pick out the suggestion on it, which was, meanwhile, in the fridge. <laughs> right? Meanwhile, in the fridge. Lights dim down, lights come up on the stage. Nobody knows what to do. Justin comes on. Justin's a mime artist. Opens the door of the fridge. Mimes his way inside. Closes the door of the fridge and sits there, shivering like he's in a fridge. Nothing, nothing, nothing. <laughs> After a couple of seconds, Steve walks in. Opens up the fridge door and says, No, Mr. Johnson... You put your sperm in the bottle and the bottle in the fridge. <laughs> oh, my God. Exactly. It was one of those where you just stand back and go, I just went to ladies and gentlemen, Steve Steve. Oh, my God. So, yes, for those but those are the moments that came from freewheeling. Yeah, like yeah. But equally, you could go through some scenes where you just thought, somebody give me a gun so I can kill us. <laughs> so we're never going to get out of this moment. Nothing's happening. But you, you must, you've done that with us. Where you go, I've done it with you. Just go. I mean, I didn't do it very often, but I, I did yeah. do it with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I did the what I now re- regard as the terrible game, <laughs> where you have to go out and uh, then people choose oh, the yeah. job. And I afterwards said to everybody, you know, you need to switch that round the other way because I know you think you're helping the newcomer. <laughs> But, not but it's the hardest thing in the world to work out what the thing no, is. I know. It, it, the terrible thing is you learn after it, because then it, 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 you learn that it doesn't matter whether you get it or not. No. Because it's just the audience. But you sort of, this. as a newcomer, you feel you ought to. I I, in the end, I had to say, look, I'm not going to get this. Yeah. I'm not going to get this. Yeah. And of course, everybody was laughing. They thought it was really funny yeah. that this new yeah. boy didn't know how to play the game or uh, couldn't work it out. Absolutely. And had had really obvious, <laughs> you know, suggestions. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, the, the yeah. clues that I'd yeah. got, once I knew. The problem was that the clues were all about, I was the man who put the piece of card in RISDA packets that says you've only got five RISDAs left. Oh, right, right. Which is good. Very good. Yeah. But I know nothing about RISDA. I've never smoked roll your owns. I've never smoked dope. What could possibly go wrong? What could possibly go wrong? Oh. Why, would I, why would I not get that? Oh, very pleasing. Mm-hmm. That's the extraordinary thing with the improv. There's so many just moments over the years that come back and you just remember a line or something. Doing... Um, <laughs> Doing the emotions game with Lee Simpson, and we're two monks, <laughs> and uh, and the suggestion comes out. This is bad to come up last, so we've done all this, you know, like paranoia, blah blah. blah. And it comes up last, and there's a pause between us, and then Lee looks up and goes, "Look at the ass on Jesus." <laughs> <laughs> I went like a balloon. I really, really, really. Because, you know, the, the old Catholic and me came out and thought, can we say that? Look at the arse on Jesus. That was, so there's moments like that will stay with me forever. That's yeah. Lee's moment. Yeah. 
You would think doing so much of it that actually you'd come out and not be able to remember any of it. Yeah, but, but because the good lines stay with you, the good moments just stay with you. Mm. The, the, yeah, the bulk of it just disappears because that's the nature of the beast. It's, it's just there and instant and no point going home and doing a big criticism on it because it's been and gone. Yeah. So but, so that's a good thing. But then because of that, the, the highlights sort of really do stick out over time. Mm. But it's, um, for many people, that lack of fear yeah. is something that, that, you know, I mean, nearly all actors have a fear of not knowing what they're going to do. Yeah, yeah. And so you lose that fear. You lost that fear a long, long time ago because oh, yeah, yeah. you never knew what you were going to do. No, it, uh, yes, that, exactly. It, it's, 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 to me, it's, I think, finally, that after all these years, what it, as long as when you walk out on stage, everything about you, your body language and everything is basically saying, don't worry, I know what I'm doing. Hmm. Audiences will go with you on stuff. Hmm. It's when people turn out and go, Jesus, oh, fuck, oh, Jesus. and you can see an audience, they can smell the blood. Ah, the supply teachers here. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> But it's, if you put everybody at ease, then that's fine. And with the improv, you, it, I learned that through the players more than anything. That it's the reaction with the audience is mm. playing with, you, and that's where the funniest we can mm. say. Yeah, you know. lovely. I, I mean, I remember the very first time turning yeah. up yeah. and thinking, oh, I don't know if I can do this or not. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and walking backstage at the comedy store, and, and you all going, "Oh, Mike, all right. Yeah. I guess what, what do we do?" <laughs> and I said, "Well, any advice?" Yeah. And I think you said to me, "Don't try to be funny." Oh, that no, it's Lee's great advice. It's brilliant. Don't try and be funny. Mm. Don't tell jokes. That was it. And that is the best advice. Yeah. And don't block. <laughs> That's the other one. That's it. I said to was it Siobhan Finneran? Oh, she's in Happy Valley, I think. She's yeah, got she's a bit really good now. I spent a weekend with her not long ago, actually, in Spain. Oh, it's good to share. Have you told the rest of the family? Yeah, I haven't this? told the wife yet. No. All right, keep that down. Um, <laughs> now, I remember she came into it, and I, apparently I said to her, oh, look. I said, tilt your head back, you can smell the fear. <laughs> I don't remember saying that. I can't remember that. I wouldn't have done it without a twinkle in my eye, but it's a very <laughs> cruel thing to do. <laughs> But it, it, no, in those early years, there, were, there really wasn't anywhere to, to play, to go back to what you asked about a yeah. year ago. Except, of course, these mythical art centres. Where do they all go? There was a, uh, a performer at the time, a performance artist called Ian Hinchcliffe. And as soon as he saw us do a show, he came up and said, um, he sat, we sat down in the pub, obviously, mm. and he had this big sort of file effects type, big book thing, which he opened up and went, right, the Birmingham Arts Lab, we got Stuart, Stuart Rogers there. He's a, he's a nice man. He'll give you a gig, probably. And we pieced out four or five art centres and called them just on spec. Yeah. And so you'd end up, yeah, you played the Birmingham Arts Lab for whatever it was, 15, 20 quid in 1970. We played it the week after the Birmingham pub bombings. <laughs> really, it was that. Birmingham was completely and utterly quiet. There just wasn't anyone there. Certainly not in the Birmingham Arts Lab when we were performing. <laughs> there were 10 people and five of them were the people show, who yeah. were these much revered, rightly revered, creative artists, performance artists. And we did this show with a, it was a show we devised, which had a series of, of clips. Our first music when the audience came in was, was some kind of, I don't know, some kind of jazz music or something. And the first clue was like drums. Boom, 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 boom. That was the first sound cue that came in much later. Mm. I knew there was problems with the show when uh, I said, well, should we start, you know, getting right, audience coming, great. Okay, audience coming, cue the music. 
And what came on was the... Dum, 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 ba, dum, ba, dum. I thought, he's jumped the first cue. <laughs> he did it all the way through it. No! All the way through it, you know. Whatever you're doing, don't fire that gun. Put the gun down. <laughs> so completely... Complete, and it was that was the first half. That was Birmingham. But they were those little places around like that. I'm trying to think when it actually suddenly became full of, you know, when the managers suddenly appeared in Edinburgh, mm. when it became much more... A, I blame um, David Baddiel. <laughs> of course, it was their fault. Yeah. But it was, there was, um, there was, I remember being up there in 1990 and that was the first time I was aware of the different companies and mm. big and, and PR people being around, which I'd never noticed before. Yeah. That's what happens with time as it goes by, isn't it? Like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's just sitting here watching them all go on. Yeah. I watch them all make the same mistake we yeah. made. Yeah. Do they want to listen to that? They won't but listen my. to word words. I can't understand why, because we're fantastically fascinating. Look at my career. <laughs> if you can find it. Um, the, um, I, I, I said, but it's basically, it, uh, unless people know maybe some of the radio stuff with the masters and the beautiful mm. masters and narratives. Yeah. And uh, the stuff with Josie. If they see me, they either go, "Oh, Hugh Laurie," <laughs> uh, and the, uh, I. So I said, "I'm kind of the Arthur Bostrom of my." So if you know that Arthur Bostrom is good moaning from yeah. hello hello, you know it is. Otherwise, you have no idea. No. So that's what it is with me. I think either that or they think I'm, I'm Hugh Laurie. Well, it's the case for nearly all actors, and in fact, even really famous people yeah. have exactly that situation at some point in their life. Yeah. You know, once you rely on. Any sort of notoriety, mm-hmm. it disappears instantly and trips you up. So Radio 1 DJ turned up at Harrods, apparently, wearing torn jeans. And the man on the door said, I'm sorry, sir, you can't come in wearing those into Harrods. And the DJ said, I'm sorry, do you know who I am? And the man said, yes, I do. That's why you can't come in. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Very good. <laughs> Did you hear the Bowie one about... Um... He was filming the Ashes to Ashes video. Dressed as a clown. Exactly. Mm. And they, they were kind of setting up to do some shot along the beach, maybe with his mum, one of those, when he's, my mama said to get thee, and him walking with his mum. Uh, and they were saying that, but this bloke appeared in the background with his dog, <laughs> just walking along the, the front, and stop, 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 and, you know, bow went over, and this guy said, excuse, excuse me, sir, we just were filming here at the moment. He said, I don't care. <laughs> it's always just a weird film. He said, "Well, yeah, no, I've got, you know, I walk my dog here every day. It's just you know, with the big with the film crew, I'm walking my dog. My dog like then plays here, and mm. I don't see what the problem is." And he said, "Look, do you see that man over there?" Pointed at Bowie. And he went, "Yeah." He said, "Do you know who that is?" He said, "Yeah." So it's some cunt dressed as a clown. <laughs> Bowie said he's never forgotten that. That was, if you get too lippy, that's it. You're just a cunt dressed as a guy. <laughs> the joy of that. That is brilliant. Yeah. All right. So to follow the format of this, we should take that first performance mm. in Amsterdam, 1979. Yeah. 1979. 79. And we should put it in the time capsule. That's the first ah, thing, you see. Mm, so that we slowly build up. I follow. Ah. God, from the seeming chaos, you you draw the nut. So what? No, no, it's, do I go on? So now you think of something else, another thing. Well, it came to me just speaking to you there, young Michael. Mm. It's the, it would be in the narrate, is it, was it the narrator's room? Of, you know the Paris studio? Yeah. 
The little room at the, the back. It was the narrator's suite, I think mm. it was called, all panelled and all that. Yeah. It's sitting in there when we um, started recording um, The Masterson Inheritance because it was, it was so, at the time, it was... It was just so thrilling that it went through very quickly. You know, well, these are the people who want to do it. Okay, you can do it. And it's totally improvised and blah, blah, blah. Mm. And uh, we th- there was one we did, I can't remember, at the end of the second series, it might have been at the end of the first series. We just swapped things around. So Lee always was a narrator. And we were talking. I said, well, and Lee said, I'd like to get a chance to play. And I said, I don't mind seeing my bone do the narrator. Mm. So we swapped over and Lee came in and I took over the narration. Half hour program, 27 minutes or whatever it is. We were recording, but it was just fine. I've got the basic principle of how to shape the story. I've got character names I can rely on, all that stuff. And we start, I get suggestions. We, we work through it and it's going well, getting good laughs. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. It's working all right. So it's, uh, my God, it's coming up to the end of the program and I haven't got a clue how to end it. Hello. Hello. Ah, luncheon. Is your lunch? Oh. What is it? Let me make room. Do you know what is it? It's a curry uh, with beans only. Oh. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Lovely, that's the stuff. But is it, this is the pork and coconut. Yeah. Right, while Jim eats his lunch, a very lovely homemade curry, I might add, we'll take a short break for some adverts. We'll be back after dessert. Cheers. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back. Let's return to Jim Sweeney and the other things he'd like to put in his time capsule. Sorry, um, do you like coffee? I love tea? coffee, yeah. If you okay. Can, if you can. Black coffee with milk? Or um, white coffee with no sugar. No sugar, but... With milk? Yes, please. All right. Blinding hot coffee. 
But I have done. I now look. Uh, oh, coffee. Oh, sorry. It's all right. Don't worry. Come in. Oh, lactose. Yeah. Mmm. Okay. Just dip tea with my favourite. Thank you. Mmm. Okay. Mmm. Lovely. Cool. Mm. Mike, this Mike. Is, this is Mike. This is Dipti Hi, yeah. Hello. Is yeah. it your friend? Yes. Well, we say friend. I, I you know, barely know him. Barely know. <laughs> no. Know you don't know him. <laughs> I owe him security money. Security as soon as you can. You know, I owe him money, and he, <laughs> that's why he lingers. You know. <laughs> okay. Have a good time then. Thank you very much, dear Dipti. Nice to talk to you. Yeah. So I've actually done a thing that might make me look as if I'm slightly professional in this, is I remember what you were saying when we when we stopped. You said you couldn't think how to end the show in the Masterson Inheritance. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the climax you're coming to. Oh, oh right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. So, yes, we'd come through and it was... Uh, time was... I, I hadn't noticed time because it was just going well, I'd say, and then, you know, Captain so-and-so and, and Joy smelt up in the bar bar and, they, and it was always... It was funny. It's Joe's a bit funny. Okay? <laughs> and then, then, then a little bit, and then I thought, they'll be coming to the end. And so I, without any... I didn't say anything to anyone. I went, well, whatever it was, will Captain so-and-so and blah, blah, blah. What will happen to the fair on the bar? And blah, 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 blah. You have to find out in the... Next episode, in part two of the Masterson's Magical Marquee, I think it was called. And now it's got a round of applause. <laughs> Is that right? And Phil, sit down. I think we can, we can do it. I'm going to have a quick break. So the buzz between all of us, because it was like, no, we, we hadn't planned. It was, meant, it was meant to be one episode, the mm. second episode. And I thought, I don't, I'm, really, what do I, where do, how, wait, where do I go from who? Where, where is... Whereas Tallulah that is where she's up on the trapeze, Jesus, and and all that is that kind of weird rush that comes on. Yeah. The second half was glorious, yeah. and it just because it goes out, it's all right. It's it, it's one of the master inheritance, so they're all I like all of them. Mm. But I remember that just being fine because like, all of us being so buzzed by something completely unexpected because it doesn't often genuinely come up you know when you get to do something that's completely just wasn't yeah, yeah. you hadn't planned for at all you can be saddled with an audience there and the, so and the in mic. a way back to that first experience yeah right? always yeah but it is in a way you always it's not you're always looking for the same high as always i guess so with the players for example so we were doing two shows a week so that's a hundred and something shows a year mm-hmm. but there'd be a hefty percentage of them that you know i'd say the once a month at least there'd, there'd be there'd be a show where you'd you'd fly through there's some shows you have to you know you're what you you're not there really focused or whatever it is you're not really focusing yourself but then there are the shows where you go oh hello we're just flying through this one <laughs> you know when you've locked in entirely with the audience you, you always get a click when you think no the audience are with me mm. all of you mm. excellent we can and those they, they, they regularly come through those you know yeah. and that's what you is it's the free it's that wonderful feeling. That's the, the reason for doing it, for mm. me anyway. It was just that incredible high. Yeah. There must be moments, yeah. I think, when you're doing improv, if you do it a lot, where you're sort of editing yourself, where you're thinking, uh, oh, no, I improvised that line the other week. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, when, often. But equally often, though, sometimes it, it's almost quicker to go, wait, that's a little bridge that will take me to somewhere yeah. new. Yeah. So it doesn't matter that it's come up. That's why I always think the Lee's description of the players was best, which is it's about the six players trying to put on an improvisation show. Mm. It's not actually an improvisation show, it's about the six of us. 
It's all about the running off the ball sort of stuff that goes on. Yeah. It's when Josie goes on. Mm. There was one where Josie had been, Josie had been at the, um, she'd been at the Royal Shakespeare Company. She came back and she and I were doing film and theatre. And mm. um, there was this look going around all the time, the sort of slightly nervy thing, because Josie's back. <laughs> and uh, it, it came out the film and theatre. And uh, the suggestion was Shakespeare. So I looked to the side and they all nodded and I looked across and Josie launched brilliant into this Shakespearean speech. Mm. Ah, ha ha. Yeah, and got a, a round of applause from the audience. And I, I just moved to, to leave the stage. At once, one of them got up just to check my um, check my pulse and sort of fan my face. The other one got me to get me some water. The other one <laughs> wagged his finger at Josie like, don't keep acting like that, you're making him ill. <laughs> but it was no word was said. So it's Brilliant. those little side moments. Mm. They're the ones that get you. The, the audiences pick them up as well. Because if you're having fun, they can yeah. tell real fun. I think that was one of the successes of the, of the players' show, certainly. Again, if we remember, talk about the players, we're talking about 1985. <laughs> there was no impro musical, impro whatever. No. Nobody, there were no courses running as such. There were a few people running courses, but not the way it is today where people you know, pay money to do a course mm. and then they, they become part of the group and they might perform. And it's become much more professional, like everything else, I suppose. So the, the, the players were the only other people around doing improvisation at the time. And I've completely forgotten what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. That's Don't the, make it up. Oh, it's wonderful, isn't it? <laughs> no idea what I was saying there, children. <laughs> that happens all the time. I taught myself... It, this thing is fitting my brain into two is I do get my brain going, what What are you talking about? <laughs> what? Oh, God, I can't remember. I can't remember what my starting off point was, but it was fascinating. It would have given you an insight into the world of improvisation. But I remember the last gig we did with um, with Omelette Broadcasting was at the um, Tri-School Theatre in Kilburn. Mm. And that was the first time we invited guests. And the joy of it, you know, Dowie had never done improvisation before, but there's, I can't, Tony Slattery, a young Tony Slattery and Richard Vance turned up. Yeah. And I remember the, the, the scene that came up was in a, it was some sort of, it was Maggie Thatcher meeting, it was something to do with the Malvinas or something. And in the background, I was aware that Richard was playing, now I know I can't let Maggie go. <laughs> Bloody hell, you're quick. Yeah. None of that's got anything to do with the narrator suite. I was about to bring us back to that. Because yeah, I beat you to it. It was a strange place for you to go because that's yeah. where you went to read yeah. the script and rehearse yeah. before the studio was ready. So you didn't need to do that. No, we'd sit and we'd, 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 there was normally, there was always a bottle of champagne available. <laughs> and uh, there, was, there was always a bottle, of, there, was interesting, there was always a bottle of brandy there, not that anybody ever had any, because I think the goons... I think so. It was something that um, Paul would remember. The, the, there was always a bottle of brandy backstage at the Goon shows. Wow. So because of that, we had that. But that's the same room. That's the thing. That's what was oh, yeah. incredible. Small room with all six of us clamped you think they, they were all in here. Everybody's been in there. Everybody's been in there to rehearse their script. Yeah, yeah. So you've got to go in. So the narration suite sat, in the sadly missed Paris studios. Yeah, yeah. But I also have a memory of sitting in there after uh, being awful on an episode of... Um, just a minute. The, the one and only time I did it. <laughs> Peter Jones was still alive at the time. Wow. So I'm sitting in the in the um yeah, in the narrator's room with with him, Nicholas, Peter Jones, me, and Clement Freud. Wow. 
like there was some niggle between Clement Freud and Nicholas. He was I mean, making some put down on him anyway. Mm. And um, and it was about that whilst they'd been doing the in one of the games that Clement had um, done a list, of, you know, which is the, the, you're not meant to do that. Apparently, they say if you just go into a list of things, that's not playing the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was he had a couple of digs at Nicholas, quite unpleasant little jibes him and then he left the room and Peter Jones had always been you know not really paying any attention you should never do lists never do lists and I thought how long this program's been going on for so long but you still bitch at each other when you go out the room I love it <laughs> I love this this is fantastic <laughs> still it's important enough to go no you shouldn't do that <laughs> so yes the narrator suite at the BBC yeah. fantastic alright that's the second thing mm-hmm. that's the second thing we put in the time gap mm-hmm so, um, what would you like to put in next? Are you feeling all right? Yeah, my eye is just... Um, one of the things, apparently, you get is that um, I don't blink enough. You're right with the, with uh, the MS? It, it, I have it no idea, but just starts. occasionally it starts It starts uh, watering. It just needs someone to wipe it. Do you want me to wipe it? <sighs> yeah, if, here. in the bathroom. In this room here. If you and then there should be some like wet wipes wet in the in the bag. I don't turn the light on. Oh, good luck. No, it's if you come out of here, Mike. You come back out. And on that wall there, the that's switch. And it's uh, motion activated, so. Yeah. Right. Yeah, in those bags, there's bags of like wipes. Which I've got. A, this is only dry. Yeah, we go across again. Again. It's across the eye. And Any one better? more time. Middle on the way out. Oh, let's try that. Any better? It might well do. Oh, well, lordy, lordy, lord. Um, yeah. So we've got two. That means we've got two more things to think of that you'd love. Um, there is a film I love. Would that be... Yeah? My favourite film. And it's been my favourite film since I was a child. And it stayed with me... Right the way through. I watched it last week. It was on TV again, despite the fact that I have it on hard drive <laughs> and I have uh, uh, the DVD of it and a Blu-ray, I think, if I could get. It's a Powell and Pressburger film from 1946 called A Matter of Life and Death. Oh. And I will happily argue with anyone that it's what it's genius. It's absolute genius from beginning to end. Because on one level, it's a simple wartime romance. Mm. Another level, it's a fantasy film. Uh, it adds that to it, but it's a, it's a story about the war. Mm-hmm. On another sense, it's a propaganda film because there are so many references to we've all got to work together, Americans and English, and mm-hmm. all of that all the way through. And at the end of it, it's the first film where you go, so wait, nobody actually mentioned God at any point and no one actually said they believe in god or anything in fact if anything most people put themselves out as being i don't i don't know i've never really thought about it is the normal response to it Mm. but the script is just he has an opening speech david niven when he's in the cockpit of a plane the entire opening speech in terms of writing is superb because everything he says in that speech he later during a when he's being he's having an operation for the brain injury he receives because of the crash of the plane that justifies everything that he says in his fantasy which he thinks is real 
And uh, it's just a wonderful film. It is a brilliant film, isn't it? Isn't it strange, that film, that when you go to the afterlife, it's in black and white? Jack Cardiff said, when he got there, he thought, obviously, you know, the the heaven will be in in colour. And and Powell went, no, 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 the other way around. Everything in the the other world is Mm. black and white and quite desolate. The design is beautiful. Mm. Uh, And yet there's this rich, rich colour. And, of course, Conductor 41, uh, the French guy, uh, Marius Goring, who keeps coming down from them to try and get David Niven to come back, Mm. appears at one stage, and he ad-libbed on the day, ah, one is starved of Technicolor up there. That's his line, a reference to it. Of course, yeah. And it's got so many beautiful camera tricks in it as well. That amazing constantly moving stare. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. There was, was 12,000 quid. It was, it cost a lot of the time. It was around 12,000. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that moved, moved that around. I think they called it Ethel, the moving staircase. Uh, uh, who's and there's two dogs are in it. Who's that? Who's man? Oh, uh, very, that's... Very very Roger, Roger Lifesey. Oh, he's fantastic. Oh, he's, he's gorgeous in it. My daughter, I think, fell in love with him in another Powell and Pressburger film called... Oh, it's come from my head. It's the, the very first one. Mm. Um, with uh, no, all those names now running out of my head. <laughs> Can't remember, but I'll, it'll come to me later. Roger Lives, yeah. Oh, he's he, as, as the surgeon. Yeah, you can also absolutely tell that uh, that a lot of those actors are basically stage actors. Oh God, yeah, because they have such extraordinary percussive consonants, don't they? Oh yeah, well, it, Peter. Yes, and there's also there's the little sequence when. Uh, he, he's they're in a hall, and it's, it's where the doctor first meets um, this uh, this Peter Carter, the David Niven character, mm. and he's sitting down this hall while whilst they're 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 rehearsing a version of um, a Midsummer Night's Dream, and they're, they're being rehearsed by some big, big sort of big large man with a booming voice, <laughs> does the whole thing like this, and it's all Americans going. Let, 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 let this, let this be the war. Then let it be known as war. No, 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 good fellow. <laughs> and he, he he speaks the whole thing out, and it, it's hilarious. <laughs> let it be war, and let it be known as war. Let it be furthers with... And he, then it, the American guy doing his best version of it. Mm. No, it's... No, it's all of it, all the way through. Yeah, it's so... Also that thing of looking at the village. We're talking about oh, this if camera. really, if people don't know this, they yeah, need yeah. to watch oh, they've it. Oh, they got to, yeah. And then come back to this conversation to the cam- because the, the... Oh, the camera obscura. The, yeah, from the top of the, yeah, yeah. Of the window. Camera obscura. That was, oh, God, yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's also um, when um, Jack Cardiff... Uh, but he, he turned up and Michael Powell was saying, hey, I want to get... The, you know, he... he he's, what I want to get is, you know, when, when we, we see him, you know, the the, 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 the ocean, this is the, the, the morning after the plane is supposed to have crashed. Mm. And we see it and he's like, what I really like is that, you know, when you get that sort of mist, mist that, that it's there for a second, then it disappears. And Jack Carter said, uh, go, to, go to look through the lens, you know, the camera's out. And Michael Powell looked through and went, oh, that's it. That's exactly the effect. How did you do it? And uh, Jack Cardiff went up to lens and went, and that is the slightly foggy, and it, it dissipates very as it does when the breath oh, comes gosh, off. Yeah. Oh, that's genius! Go, oh crap! That's yeah. 
the colours, beautiful, the shot choices, the lighting is to die for. Mm. So. And all those sequences that you'd think from that time wouldn't work, mm. like David Niven in The Plane, mm. which you'd think would look really bad. They look really good, mm. don't they? Mm. And, and also uh, the charging around on the motorbike in, in bad weather. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. really convincing. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm yeah. sure that, that I mean, lots of it, there is a man riding very fast <laughs> yeah, yeah, in exactly. bad weather. Some poor sod. How many yeah. did they lose? <laughs> but yeah, no, yes. All the, it, it, it's got such an incredible charm as well. And it turned me on to their films. They're just such... There's a series of films to make. The Red Shoes, Black Narcissus. Black Narcissus is wonderful too. And A Matter of Life and Death. But A Matter of Life and Death is, is kind of... It's, I think, amongst their, their work... Personally, I think it's their finest film. The because re- you can't ever watch it without being moved. Oh, no, yeah, always. And, it, always. It just, and you know when you're watching something, you think, no, I've watched this about 800 times and there still isn't a line that I'd add to it. Mm. There isn't a line I'd take away. There isn't a shot right going, well, that doesn't really work. Although it just effortlessly picks you up and takes you right the way through it. Yeah. He's the American actor whose son also is a famous actor. Oh, he, he, he was in Dr. Kildare, wasn't he? The, mm, that's right. Raymond Massey. Raymond Massey. Yeah. yeah, all for the want of a horseshoe nail. For the one of a nail, the shoe was lost. For the one of a shoe, the horse was lost. For the one of a horse, the messenger was lost. For the one of a messenger, the message was lost. For the one of a message, the battle was lost. And all for the loss of a horseshoe nail. Mm. Boston. Yeah, he's the Boston man. Oh, and they, but then he does that. You know, they, they, which he, which, what is it? Which, you fall asleep listening to the humdrum rhythm of a cricket match. <laughs> and he turns on the radio and you just say, oh, and here we are, Lord, it's a lovely day. <laughs> and all the English people in the crowd, when they have any crowds, what were getting together to listen to the, to the cricket. It's very sweet. <laughs> you can quote almost every moment in it. Oh, yeah. Also, because uh, I could love a man like you, Peter. I love you, June. Your life, and I'm leaving you. Think, oh, God. <sighs> of course you are. Wonderful stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A matter of life and death. It, it's, um, yeah, I think I'd go with you on that, actually. It's I've a always, beautiful I would beautiful. say, you know, of modern films that rival it, I love, um, well, no, I'm doing it now. Ha! Fucking it's contagious. Great. Did you know that? Yeah. Actually, I'm just going to book a room. <laughs> yeah, Hang on yeah. a minute. <laughs> I love Groundhog Day. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Again, it's sort of almost every moment in it is perfect. No. I got you, babe. It's that from, oh, no, all the way through. Is it the guy that, Phil, is it the insurance guy? Phil, yeah. It's the day that he just comes out and smacks him straight away that makes me every time. Or the finding different ways to kill yourself. Yeah. That's a short little sequence. Such a lovely idea. Isn't it? And he plays it so well. He's brilliant at it, Bill Murray. No, I'm a big Bill Murray fan. Mm. Yeah, no, I like that. But every now and again, these films come along. I should imagine that A Matter of Life and Death, although British films were big, I wonder what effect that had in America, that film. Where it was known as Stairway to Heaven. Alexa, tell me about A Matter of Life and Death. Stairway to Heaven is a 1946 drama film starring wow. David Niven, Kim Hunter, and Robert Coote. Alexa, why have you got an English accent if you always answer in an American way? <laughs> Alexa, be quiet. That bloody thing. We <laughs> but you, you know you can change the voice to a man. Really? 
is not right. It's not the same as a man answering it. I don't like it. It feels no. very, you're, you're sharing the room with another man. I wouldn't man. mind I'm it being Russian and trying to call you Alexei. <laughs> exactly. Alexei, yeah. well, what do you want to know? <laughs> we can tell you anything. But also, if I, if I can record it, then it, then it would, when I do at three o'clock in the morning because I've woken up because of a leg spasm, <laughs> it would go, what do you want now? Because <laughs> you suddenly go, who is it who's saying, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> With a girl like Jessamine. Oh, you see. It's the casuals. That's why it's there. It, no, it's perfect for that. But mm. well, let's put that fantastic film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the third thing, Jim. So we're on to... Well, then the fourth thing, I oh, think, right. I would get, I would uh, random, you know. Because mm. the wonderful thing about this, young Michael, as I will tell you now, <laughs> is that, of course, uh, you know, tomorrow it'll be a different four things. Uh, it's I'll like when back. you say to people... What's your favourite record? And they go, oh, no, I couldn't put you go, mm. it's not important. Don't I'm not going to phone you up in a week's time and go, what was that? I think you'll find. So with that in mind, I think, oh, it would be the night that um, with the players, we opened, uh, we did a show at Shakespeare's Globe. And that was, that was a bit of a night. Because they'd, they'd phoned up and someone who worked there said, would you, uh, would you like to play the Globe? It's a Monday night. And we're just we're just thinking. I'm suggesting it. Mark Rylance, the director, has said, "Yeah, yeah." Okay, all right. Like, there was a general. Yeah, I suppose I don't know. Well, I said, "Well, look, I'll go and have a look, see what it's like." And so I'd never been to the Globe at all. So I went down there and they let me um, into the whatever it was. I can't remember. It was one of the Shakespeare's every day. Mm. And I was watching it from the courtyard, watching it, and and uh, I, I when I came back, I said, "What's well, tonight?" I said, "Well." Kind of. This is really unfair. I said, it's, it's kind of like posh panto. In a way, that's how it feels. Because I think it was, to be fair, I caught them on a matinee and they clearly, it was very, it wasn't the fullest energy and it was, it was quite limp. And they said, oh, so you don't think we could play it? I said, oh, no, we could play it. I'd play it fine. I mean, in a way, as a venue, because it ought to be perfect. Have you, exa- well, exactly. Have you stood on the Palladium stage? Well, you know, whether you go, oh, wait, you're not that big. Or the Liverpool Empire when you go, Okay, you're big, but you don't look like you sit 2,100 people on one balcony. Mm. And it's the same that because they're so close to you, it's 1,700. Yeah. But you can almost reach out and touch everyone. You see right in people's eyes. Exactly. And I opened for that show, so I went out first. It's an audience that people don't talk to them the way that we go. Have you got any idea? A bucket and a very nice idea. Thank you very much. <laughs> now I'm going to look over here and I'm finished talking to you. Yes. And you do that. And it was, God, it was just such a wonderful gig. The place went apeshit at the end when we'd finished. Mm. Must have been a sense of playing it, of thinking, hang on a minute, this is, to a large extent, what Shakespeare would have had for his comedy. Well, but, but that was the, the wonderful thing. Was we Then we were invited to this evening launch of something at the Globe about two, three months later. It was for sponsors and things like that. And it was introduced in the programme, that's right, for next year. Mark Rylance was, was going through, I didn't, didn't know from Adam, but, you know, I recognised him. So. And he's going through what's coming up in the next year. And he went, blah, 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 blah. Uh, you know, we're happy to be having a group from Japan doing their version of, uh, uh, you know, uh, Man for All Seasons. Um, and then on August the 13th, we have the Comedy Store Players. And he stopped. He stopped. And he went, if I can urge you to see one thing at the Globe this year, it would be to see the Comedy Store Players because they probably use the theatre more authentically than any other performance you've ever seen. And I'm looking across the phone and you go, fuck. Because it, it was just, 
and went out to him afterwards and went, thank you. He said, no, I mean it. It was, uh, we've got to learn how to do exactly that. What- yeah. I mean, I think that you read a lot of the comedy scenes in Shakespeare and you think, okay. this is probably one show that somebody wrote some of it down. And actually, by the end of the run, mm. the actor who was playing the funny part, he would have worked out all sorts of stuff and would have the ability to work with the audience who exactly. was in today. Exactly. People barracking him, him coming back at it. Yeah. That's what it would have been. Without yeah, exactly. a doubt. So actually those scenes, I think you ought to be able to take them and just... Well, they ought to, in fact, in fact employ improvisers in those scenes. In an ideal well, world, Go yeah. for it. Or panto performers, people who are used to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dealing with no, exactly that. Are you aware that it's a performance that they enjoy as well? They, mm-hmm. You know, it should have that. You can't... I don't know. I don't know enough about it, but... It's got to be out without being out. Yeah. I can't explain. It's got to be... Because it's such a small venue... They're close enough, as I say, they're close enough to touch, it feels like. So if you find that balance correct, yeah. get them really hooked in. And open air is always interesting because yeah. having played it, you find mm. that suddenly the world is much quieter at night. <laughs> you think not, but that's why yeah. you can hear traffic so far away at night because yeah. all the other sounds disappear. But in the afternoon, if you play the globe, ah. it's noisy. You do have to project more. Once yeah. the sun goes down, you can whisper and people hear you. You're quite right. Well, I'm always right. <laughs> what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. I wish I'd seen that show, though, because Mark Reynolds is completely right. That's what the globe is made for. It's also you can't walk out. When you walk out, there's a whole bunch of people standing down about a foot level looking up at you. Mm-hmm. And it look, I said to me, you look like, you were going back to your seats and the lights came on and you weren't ready and you stopped to, to freeze. Because <laughs> you look wrong and you're there for the whole thing. Like you, It would be stupid not to refer to that. Can you not? Don't every- you want to sit down? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you, what are you doing? <laughs> and you just, just, you know, and then playing also with the stuff at the back or people at the top. And mm. it's, a, it's, a, it's a real performer's venue, I think. Yeah. It was, what was the film? Is it Shakespeare in Love? Mm. Someone I do, I do very, I've got a little dog or something. Yeah. I have a little bit of business with the dog. Yeah, yeah. And you can imagine it would be that. Oh, he's the, he's the performer with the dog. Will, yeah, yeah. Will Kemp, wasn't it? Was it Will Kemp? It would have been, wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah. Send him on here, Philip. Send on Will. Send on Will. They're going to do 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, Macbeth's dying. Macbeth's dying. I'm back after that siege <laughs> at, at, at Boulogne. <laughs> yeah. I mean, all that went for nothing, didn't it? <laughs> Bastards. Once more under the breach. Too bloody right. <laughs> I watched some of those online, like some of the. Uh, some of the Rylance performances uh, when they were online. And uh, they're just, he makes it look so wonderfully straightforward. Because yeah. he does that whole, you know, on St. Christmas Day speech. And it's like, I've never heard it before. It makes sense of the whole thing. He does a speech from Richard II in it, Act 5, Scene 5. I don't know anything about it, except <laughs> that's what it's called. And uh, it's Richard in the jail. And uh, he does this this speech in it. And... I watched that on its own. And my daughter came in later and I said, look, I don't understand. So I don't know how he does it, but I didn't really give a toss about this play before. But now I want to know what happened to that lovely man, why he's in prison, why he's been bullied. And she said, he's, he's one of the most appalling villains. <laughs> really? Yeah, it, 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 it's not not these villain, villains, but he's a really black character as well, mm. but not the way Rylance always finds the humanity in a character. And their speech is just... Because he turned up to three or four of the Globe gigs. Oh, brilliant. But then he went on to become the BFG, of course. <laughs> of course. Never look back. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> never calls, never calls. <laughs> 
Hello, memory mad memory mocks me, my friend. <laughs> well, that's all this podcast is. Ah, Just people talking about God. things they remember happily. My God. Apart from the next thing you're going to put in there, which is the last thing, which is something you're, you'd like to put in there and forget. Something I'd like to put in there and forget. Now, this may take some thought, mm-hmm. young man, because um, nothing is that big a deal, I think. That's my... Um, so what is it that I'd like to... Well, in your situation, Jim, yeah. I should imagine you're able to put all those niggling little mm. annoyances into perspective. It's the what, what makes it... I've only got myself... You're in the room that I'm in now. I mm-hmm. spend my day in here. It's a lovely room. I can get out and about whenever I want, but I spend a lot of, most of the time on my own, obviously. Yeah. You think there's nothing else to do. And uh, so you can... I, I spent days, months. I've gone through my life with a you know fine-tooth comb, picked it to shreds and, you know, taken it out of there. Look at this, you did this, you <laughs> bastard. All of that all the way through. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and at the end you go, well, your brain goes, look, we can either keep this up or just admit that it's a waste of fucking time because there's no point. After a while you go, there's no point in whatever it was. It doesn't matter if so-and-so cut me dead in 1985 or they, so-and-so in 87 never saw me for that. Who gives a shit? Mm. You've got to take it now. And it's basically trying to educate myself to be in the day, be in the moment more and more. And one, it's, it sort of works-ish. Yeah. I can kind of flow along with the day, really, which is helped by the fact that it's broken up by carers coming in with... Do you want a cup of coffee? Or here's your lunch and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Or people like yourself coming around and, <laughs> and, and annoying visiting. you. God bless you. God bless. <laughs> no, but like Andy comes around or Dowie comes around. And yeah. God, no. I just thought of another one there was Dowie. Actually, yes, Dowie. Did Dowie tell you that he came around here? John Dowie came around here with, um, I'd never read Winnie the Pooh. I know nothing about Winnie the Pooh beyond. Tiny little like Dowie came and read me Winnie the Pooh. There were moments that we were both just crying with tears, laughed so loud. Because uh, uh, Dowie's voice, of course, immediately with uh, Eeyore is immediate. It just, no, it just goes very well. <laughs> and with his delivery, we were like a couple of kids. Like, and, oh, I loved it. I loved it so much that he came and then read a Terry Pratchett book, The Monstrous Regiment. Mm. Same thing. Wow. Absolutely in tears. But so my, uh, what, there would be one would be John Day reading me Winnie the Pooh. Oh, that was a glorious thing, I thought. Now, I still got what the... So you're allowed extra ones, I don't mind. No, I just... And it, do you know, he did tell me about that. Oh, no, there was such a joy. Cause, also because I'm alarmingly ill-read. I really, I barely read a book in my life. Steve and I are... <laughs> In plain sight, we are the stupidest people. I know that we're the, <laughs> we're the least engaged academically or anything. Books, we never read books or anything like that. We watched telly. It was so, you know, it's it interesting to think of. The, I've spent time thinking about that and what that meant. What, why didn't you read a book? Why didn't you blah? Mm. I didn't. And you learn other things, you, you gain other things through life. And what you get at the end of it, it kind of shapes up all right. So if I look at the end of my life, for example, it, I'm fine with it. Mm. You know, I barely sustained an adequate career. I, 
the bill basically bills got paid and that's all I was interested in I wasn't I'm not really looking to be there's a, as I'm sure you have I've seen both sides of the, what the fame can do to people mm-hmm. and how what it, what happens how it, the search for it can affect people when they get it it affects a lot having said that I know a lot of people are famous and they're fine yeah but you do get people who become it kind of becomes everything mm. I've always moved out of the way you meet some you must have done you're working with someone you can they're kind of almost behind you trying to get ahead somewhere I always move aside and go please help yourself I'm yeah. not a threat yeah I really it's not I'm not the person that you want to no I, I, I often I, show them a quicker way around yeah exactly yeah. no no don't, don't go that way no, no. but come right through me come through, yeah yeah they go straight through because I, I, that's the part of it I don't that never appealed. So in the end of it, you just piece, you know, think, think back over it enough. It works out all right, I think. Mm. I can't complain about anything that's gone on. I wouldn't. There's nothing to complain about. How can you when there's, God knows how many people each day are dying in. Again, last night, oh, the, the, these perishing idiots who get on boats and die in the. Do you know the way people talk about these, the cinemacy? Because it's uh. just. Please don't. But if they'll get in, we tell them not to get in the boats. Yeah, but surely the point is more that these people are desperate enough to get in the bloody boats. Mm -hmm. It's not not their fault they've heard it's better. No. So all that becomes in the way of that becomes tiresome, I think. Yeah. We constantly. It's a frustrating world, isn't it? Yeah. Because you look at the uh, injustice is always annoying. Oh, yeah. But I mean, in. the where's the the war Selensky and where is that what's the country Ukraine Ukraine God yeah now that's just hard that's that's just really there was today they said that the there'd been an increased uh, attack on the the capital on Kiev. and they they managed to shoot down thirteen drones or whatever it was what on earth is going on in Putin's head? It just, is it just to punish them and mm-hmm. kill as many and destroy? And I don't understand no. it. And that's still, you know, and with that and with, with Brexit, you know, one, I tell you what, one of the knock-ons in Brexit was in, in the care industry. Where the hell have all my Romanian carers gone? Uh, that, of course, was stealing all the jobs that ain't, that, ugh, mm. stealing all the jobs that we can't fill now. Yeah, yeah. Because they've all gone home. Because yes, there you are. Well, Jim, I look forward to coming back tomorrow and hearing the other five things you'd like to write. Ah. Or in fact, six. And, and I, uh, and so I never came up with something to... I'm perfectly happy for you to, as a reasonable explanation, to say, in the end, mm. I've decided that nothing is no. worth making that sort of fuss about. Not really, no. Not no. that I can think of. No, good. Beyond Hitler, and then you know it's just another <laughs> one. Now I'm. Yeah, he's already in a time capsule. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you, thank you, mate. You have been listening to my time capsule with me, Mike Fenton Stevens, and my wonderful guest, Jim Sweeney. Well, after that, I'm sure we're all counting our blessings, and this next bit may seem a bit mundane, but I'll do it as briefly as possible. Please do subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It really helps. Tell your friends if you enjoyed it. That also helps. And maybe follow me and my time capsule on social media. 
doesn't help at all actually but it's good fun to see what we're up to and what's coming up you can listen to and download the theme tune by Pass the Peas Music on Spotify this was a cast off production for Acast it was produced by John Fenton Stevens right I'll see you soon keep laughing I mean you never know what's around the corner just like my tortoise poor thing yeah he got mugged by a snail when the police asked if he could remember any details he said I don't know it was all so quick Bye. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.